Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, welcome to worship at Bolhelvi, and a special welcome to anybody who's visiting with us. I know we've got at least one interloper from Northern Ireland with us today. Welcome, Robert. It's good to have you, good to have you back. Um, just a few wee uh, intimations this morning before we uh, get into our time together of worship. And the first is a, a sad one. It's to let you know about the death of uh, Mrs. Nellie Leith, formerly of Chance Inn uh, within our parish. Uh, Nellie's funeral is going to be a week on Monday at half past 12 here in the church. And our thoughts and our prayers are very much with Nellie's family at the moment. In the week ahead, uh, Coffee Haven is uh, happening on Tuesday from 10 to 12. Please do come up with your free and join us for a coffee and a fine piece uh, up in the Forsyth Hall. Next Sunday is going to be our Christian Aid lunch, so you might like to come prepared both to eat and to give. It would be lovely if you're able to stay and support our Christian Aid venture that afternoon. And then on Friday the 13th of May at half past seven, we're having our annual Christian Aid quiz again in the hall. So again, uh, get the word out amongst your friends and hopefully get a wee team together and come to the hall that night for some fun as we fundraise. Uh, later on this month is the Balmedi Gala and the church will have a stall there. Uh, it's going to be the bottle stall. So we're encouraging uh, the congregation to start even now bringing in uh, donations of bottles uh, that can be used in the bottle stall. So if you can just remember that, please, over the next few weeks and come to church with your clinking carrier bags, which might sound a bit suspicious, but, um, but just bring them along. You can leave them in the church and we'll make sure that they get uh, down to the gala on, I think it's the 29th of May. It's the last Saturday, in, Sunday, I beg your pardon, in, in May. And then lastly, um, last week, uh, as those of you who were here will know, I had to read an edict uh, concerning a presbytery meeting around the presbytery plan. I was supposed to read it this Sunday too, but since then plans have changed. And that meeting is now being moved into the beginning of June. So we have a wee bit more grace uh, to work with there. And no doubt I'll have to read that edict again uh, closer to the time. Now those are all our announcements, so let's worship God together in the words of our opening hymn, which is number 124, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of Creation. Let's worship God together.
Let's come before God in prayer now. Let us pray. Eternal God, so far beyond and yet so intimately near. We bless you for drawing us into this life, this way that is centered on Christ. God among us taking form. We bless you that he is your image. And when we see him, we see your character on display. We can trust that the Father is like the Son, is like the Spirit. The Holy Three working together for the fulfillment of their single purpose for the universe. Eternal God, so far beyond and yet so intimately near, we bless you for all about you that words can never fully communicate. The things that I can't see nor ear hear because the weight of your glory is too much for us to bear like looking straight into the face of the sun. We bless you that you have taken flesh in Christ to once more raise up humankind to where you wanted us to be and to help us know and understand you better. We give you our thanks for the stories of Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, and death's failure to hold or defeat him. And we are awed and amazed that you, the mysterious energy of life, should know we human beings so well. Christ looked at people and saw right inside them, saw their strengths and their weaknesses, their hopes and their fears and their hidden shame. He knew which ones needed comfort and reassurance. He knew who needed to be challenged and confronted if they were to change and grow. And if that was true then, it's just as true of us gathered here today. We confess our past failings, not because you don't know them, but because we need to face them in your presence if we're ever to put them behind us and move on. And we listen for your voice calling us, calling us to a life of costly discipleship and service. And once again, we offer ourselves to that call, thanking you that in your grace, you take us as we are while still summoning out what we shall be. Lord, who else knows us as you do? Who else loves us as you do? Who else can lead us safely out of the shadows of death and into the light of your eternal life? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. In 
whose name we make all our prayers, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our reading this morning is taken from the last chapter of John's Gospel, John chapter 21, reading from verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, 
you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And he said to him, follow me. Amen. And may God bless to our hearing and our understanding this reading from his word. Our next hymn is number 532. Lord, you have come to the seashore.
Let's take a moment to pray together now. Father, as we enter this time where we reflect on your word, I've just remembered this lovely saying of the Jewish people, may you always be covered in the dust of your rabbi. In other words, may you walk closely enough with your rabbi, your teacher, that you get the dust from his feet on your clothes. At your side, I may seek other shores. Lord, above all else, help us as we listen and as we leave this place to know that you are by our side as we enter whatever it is that this week holds. May we know that now and may we know that then because we ask it in Christ's name. something very lovely and very human about the way in which John chooses to end his gospel. John takes us to a lot of very deep places theologically, more so even than the other three gospel writers. But here, right at the end of John's gospel, we get a series of little stories that set the scene for everything that's to come in the light of the resurrection. And those stories center on one person, and that's Peter. Why Peter? Well, that's a good question. If you trace Peter's record throughout the Gospels, he doesn't exactly cover himself in glory. He's no sooner had this wonderful insight from God that Jesus is the Messiah than he then tries to stop him doing what the Messiah needs to do, which is to travel up to Jerusalem to face death on a cross. At the transfiguration, where Jesus is revealed in all his glory, Peter's the one who gets a bit giddy and says, hey, master, do you want us to build three wee shelters so that you and Moses and Elijah can stay up here forever? It's not exactly his finest moment. On the night of Jesus' betrayal, Peter was in the wrong when he balked at Jesus' suggestion that he wanted to wash Peter's feet. And he was wrong again later that same evening when he drew his sword in Gethsemane to fight off the temple guard who'd come to arrest Jesus, when violence was never Christ's way of overcoming evil. So why, given his very patchy record, is John choosing to focus in on Peter in the last chapter of his gospel? Well, I think John is trying to show us through Peter what life lived in the company of the risen Christ looks like. And he's reassuring us that if Peter could learn to live into and experience that resurrection life, given all the stumbling mistakes that he made, there is no reason that you and I can't do the same. In John's telling of the story, this appearance in Galilee is the third time that Jesus has been with the disciples 
since the resurrection. He's already shown up twice in Jerusalem, the two upper room appearances without and then with doubting Thomas. And in those appearances, Jesus spoke peace to them and he commissioned them to go out into the world in his name. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you, he says, showing them his hands and his side to remind them what that kind of going, where that kind of going can take you. It can take you to costly places. And all of that begs a question that I've asked before on Sundays. Given all of that, given this commissioning, what are the disciples doing back in Galilee? They've seen there isn't Christ. They've been commissioned to continue his work. Why are they back out on the waters again fishing? Well, in the light of everything that had happened, and with the future very unclear, what would you be most likely to do in those circumstances? Wouldn't you seek solace in the familiar, in the tasks and in the places and in the people that ground you, at least until you've had some time to figure things out? Rona and I always have a wee smile when we hear our American friends talking about processing things. It seems like every major life event that they go through and plenty of minor ones need to be processed, by which they mean reflected on and evaluated. We're really not very good at processing things in the UK and, dare I say, it, even worse in Scotland. Here we just tend to keep the head down and keep going, which has its advantages, may not be the best approach in the long term. I guess there's a, a happy medium to be found in all this processing. But would it be surprising if the disciples needed a bit of time away to process what had happened to them? Christ dead and then suddenly alive. Resurrection being something that impacts the world now and not just in some distant future. Maybe a few months among things that were familiar would give them a wee bit of time and space to begin thinking about what their next steps together might look like. That's possible. But if they were looking to their old trade for some ease and comfort, John seems pretty clear that they didn't get it because they spent a whole night fishing and didn't get a bite. And they were about to pack it in until a stranger on the shore tells them to throw their nets to the right-hand side of the boat. And because folk on the shoreline could sometimes see the shoals of fish more clearly than those who were on the water, they took a risk and they nearly burst their nets with the catch that they hauled in. On their own, not much progress. Listening to Jesus, abundance. And there's the first thing I think we need to say about resurrection life. Resurrection life, life post-resurrection in Christ is together life. It's a life lived together with Jesus and with one another. When the disciples took themselves off to Galilee, 
I wondered if God figured in their plans very much or if they just felt it was a good idea. Did they offer this time up to him and ask him to bless it or did they just go with their gut feeling? Did they think they could park God somehow while they thought things through or did they have a sense of his being with them as they thought things through? I am with you always, says the risen Jesus. And resurrection life means taking that seriously. Remembering that there is nowhere we can go in life where he isn't already present and at work. Remembering that it's in the ordinary places of our lives that the risen Christ meets us. There is no sacred, secular divide in life, and there never has been. Everything is spiritual. Our world, our work, our play, our places, our people. These are all the places where God meets us if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. So where will you be this time tomorrow. Stop and think about that for a moment. Wherever it is, God will be right there with you. Whether it's the surgery or the shops or in the park or in the office or in the armchair or beside the sick bed of someone you're caring for. He'll be there. And where will you be in your mind tomorrow? Wherever it is, God will be there. Whether you're at peace or in a mess, whether you feel hopeful or hopeless, God will be there. And if we learn to pay attention to him, he will help to bring up goodness out of the depths of our lived experience. Resurrection life is together life because the risen Christ is always with us through his spirit. How might life change if we were able to remember that more as we went about the stuff of our days? If we leaned into the presence of the God who is with us, rather than just relying on our own wits and resources, as we so often do. Resurrection life is together life. Life together with God and one another. And it's also forgiven life. Forgiven life. It's a lovely detail in today's passage, but I'd never noticed until quite recently. John tells us that when the disciples came ashore to where Jesus was, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish and bread cooking on it. And the word for charcoal fire, anthracian in the Greek, is only used twice in the whole of the Bible. Here, and just a few chapters earlier 
in John's Gospel. And John, being John, when something like that happens, it's never a coincidence. There's always something. John's, the way he writes his Gospel is beautifully constructed. There's always something there that's a connection. And the other occurrence is from the night of Jesus' betrayal. The disciples have fled from Gethsemane and Jesus is being frog-marched between the political and religious authorities for various sham trials. And John and Peter follow the guards to the courtyard of the high priest's house where they gather around with others to keep warm around a fire, a charcoal fire, anthracian in the Greek. And it's there beside that fire that Peter denies knowing Jesus three times. Denies even knowing him, having spent three full years traveling around with him as one of his closest friends. And given that wee bit of context, I think we can understand what happens next in today's story a wee bit better. Jesus takes Peter aside and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you, says Peter. But he asks the same question again. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then he asks it a third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And by this stage, Peter's really feeling it. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. But do you see what Jesus is doing here? With the smell of burning charcoal in the air, once again, Jesus is giving Peter the chance to undo what he had said beside that fire in the high priest's courtyard. The three confessions of love that Jesus draws out of him wipe away Peter's three denials and the shame that came with them. So now Peter knows that his master and his friend has forgiven him. And those moments of weakness beside that courtyard fire don't have to define him and his life anymore. He doesn't deserve that forgiveness. And neither do we for the ways that we deny Jesus. But it's ours all the same in him. Jesus, through Peter, is showing us that resurrection life is forgiven life. A life where we are graciously gathered into Christ's future rather than being tied to the failures of our past. And then lastly, Resurrection life is a called life. It's important in listening to today's story to realize that Peter isn't just forgiven in this exchange with Jesus. He's also commissioned. He's given a task. He's called to participate in Christ's ongoing work in the world. Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my lambs. Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, tend my sheep. Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. 
Peter's calling in life in a very practical way is changing. In a way, it's the opposite of what happened in the Highland Clearances. Back then, shepherds had to learn to become fishermen when they were forced off the land. But this particular fisherman is having to learn how to be a kind of shepherd, how to look after the growing flock of God's people. That was Peter's particular calling. But all Christians have a calling to worship, to love, to serve, to live in such a way that we are proof of a loving God. And if we're not living into that calling, we're not really responding to Christ at all. We may have acknowledged him as Savior at some level, but we're not acknowledging him as Lord. And that anemic kind of faith can never be transformative for ourselves or for the world. The writer Madeleine Lengel puts it well when she says, we do not draw people to Christ by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. How can we nurture and share the light of Christ in a world that so needs to see it? If we're doing almost everything we can to keep him and his light at a safe distance, lest he messes things up by asking us to do something that might actually cost us a little. Giving time, talents, money to the work of God's church. Jesus' final words to Peter in this section remind us that there is no such thing as cheap grace. If we're serious about following Jesus, we will find ourselves carrying some crosses, going places and doing things that we do not wish to do out of love. But if Easter shows us anything, it shows us that true life is found not by trying to evade the cross, but by accepting it and trusting in the God who transcends and overcomes it. As the old African-American spiritual puts it, if you will not bear a cross, you can't wear a crown. Our own crosses are part calling and resurrection life comes with a calling why Peter we asked at the start of the sermon well because Peter's story shows us that resurrection life is together life and forgiven life and called life and that the only precondition for discipleship is love. If genuine love for God is there in our hearts, then everything else in our hearts can be worked with and overcome and forgiven by the grace of God. But the love has to be there. Poor old Peter. Always opening his mouth and putting his foot in it. Always acting first 
and thinking later. And yet he was the one that Christ chose as the first leader of his church. Why? Because even in his worst moments, Peter was possessed by love for this man who he knew in his heart of hearts was the savior of the world. And history shows us that where he finds that kind of love, Christ can and will build his church. Amen. We're going to end this time together by taking a few moments of our own beside the fire just to ponder what we've heard this morning and to see what the Spirit in particular is placing on our hearts what has spoken to us today that we need to remember and that we need to take with us into the week that lies ahead. So just a few moments of prayerful contemplation just now.
William Anderson's going to lead us now in our prayers for others. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for and we ask you to help us as we continue to meditate on the truths we have heard this morning. Help us to have some understanding as to why your son left his throne in glory, came as a man to earth, walked the way of the cross, and why he offers us salvation through his finished work. Help us to respond to the great love he has shown us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And help us to truly respond with love to him, and to take to heart the command Christ gave Peter, feed my sheep. Help us to show love to both those we like and those we don't. Help us not to judge others whilst ignoring our own faults. Help us to go the extra mile for those in need. And help us to provide the spiritual direction and food we all need. Help us to take seriously Christ's commission to preach the good news and give us the ability to speak your truth in love. Help each one of us through the power of your Holy Spirit to gossip the gospel in all that we do and say. Help folk to see the importance of putting you first in their lives, worshipping you and setting time aside to commune corporately and individually with you and help each one of us to be able to ask you into our lives to be our Lord and Saviour. Let us take nothing for granted regarding our relationship with you. We pray for the coming General Assembly that you will give direction to the deliberations that will take place there and over the internet. Be with Alan as he attends in person. Let this be a time of blessing for him. We pray for the presbyteries as they feel the need to make alterations to the parishes and be with the congregations and ministers who will be affected. We pray for the work of this congregation and for those who are actively giving of their time to the various organizations and visitation of the members. We pray for the sick and the sad in our congregation and ask that you meet them at the point of their need, as only you can. This morning we pray especially for the family of, uh, and friends of Nellie Leith. 
As many are faced with hard decisions due to inflation and sharp rises in prices, we ask you to be with all who find themselves in financial difficulty. We pray too for those who are taking examinations just now. Let them know your presence and your peace. We bring before you Paul and Rona as they endeavour in your strength to further your kingdom in this place. As we look back through history, we see the machinations of evil men and the destruction and loss of life that follow from their selfish actions. Today we pray that the war brought about by President Putin will be swiftly ended that the Ukrainians who have fled their homes and country will be able to return and that democracy will be restored in Ukraine. We ask you to be with those who have been imprisoned for even simply calling Putin's onslaught a war. Looking at what is happening strengthens our view of the evil that is in us all and in this world and we ask our lord and savior to forgive us our sin to come into our lives and to live showing your love for us to all whom we meet we bring all these prayers in the name of jesus our redeemer and friend amen Thank you, William. Our closing hymn this morning is hymn number 533. Will you come and follow me?
And now go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore.